aggression. Ruthless aggression. Ruthless aggression. The John Bradshaw Layfield era. My name is C.M. Punk. I buried him alive. I'm just a sexy boy. And I spit in the face of people who don't want to be cool. What's up? Welcome back to Ruthless Retrospective, Episode 9. We made it to the first pay-per-view. As always, I am your, what am I? Your number one contender here with the reigning, defending, undisputed podcast champion of the world. The Broken One Razor, Rob. And today we are joined by the leader of the Heel Turn Collective faction. Mm -hmm. The once great frontman of a very semi-successful hardcore band. Mr. Lance Augustine. Mildly. Oh, mildly. I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, I have coined the phrase mildly successful hardcore band. That was me. You are right. It is me. It is me. It is that L-A-N-C-E. Yes, I came over that all by myself, boys. That was impressive. That that, that was a DDP at all? No DDP? Well, I mean... Like, allegedly, all right? We're talking DDP circa 2001 right after the WCW buyout. Yes, that would be that DDP. You would okay. Allegedly, you 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 did not get inspiration from DDP. Okay. Allegedly. We'll just go with that because I'm an innovator, a master creator, my friends. You know what really bothers me, Rob? What really bothers you today, that Greg? We hit, like, this milestone. We made it to the first pay-per-view, and it falls on episode nine. And that really makes me mad because that should be a 10. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) But that is not the main thing that's bothering me today. Do you want to know what's driving me fucking insane all damn week? What is driving you insane all damn week, Greg? Look, I hate Facebook. But I'm addicted to social media for some God knows reason. Anytime I have a free second in my life, I'm like, let's see what all these stupid people are complaining about now. But... Today, DC dropped a shit ton of, like, movies and video game stuff, so I try to watch the videos on Facebook. What is going on when I try to watch a video and it only plays 10 seconds and says continue on watch? I have to watch 10 minutes of ads to see the damn video. That's that's the new Facebook video shit that they started doing. What Are, um, are both of you getting this already, or is my phone messing up? I mean, I've had it on a couple of Facebook videos, like, uh that it's happened but it doesn't happen a lot to me it's not every video it's literally every video that's longer than 10 seconds for me i would say it's like uh you know 70 30 i feel like uh you know you'll be watching something on facebook and then from time to time you get interested and you're about a, I don't know man 10 seconds is pretty quick i would go 30 i'll meet you at 20 <laughs> all right i'll meet I you mean- in the middle of 20 We'll just assume it's 20 seconds. I mean, it's not so like you, it's still not as bad as YouTube where you get four no, fucking ads. YouTube's better because I can at least skip those ads most of the time. I can't skip these. So now when that happens, I go to YouTube. I search for the video. Even if I don't know the title. <laughs> I find it. I skip the ads. And it's quicker than if I would have stayed on Facebook. Okay. Okay. You got me there. You got me there. Well, Jesus 
Christ, can we move on to something that's interesting, please? You're putting me a fucking sleepover right. here. You want interesting? How about Mad Max invading WWE? Did you guys see any of this Thunderdome stuff yet? Yes. Uh, Lance, have you have you seen any of the photos? Or I, ha- I have. I actually I watched SmackDown for the first time uh, in a long time this week just to kind of see what it was all about. Obviously, Vinny Mac out there first. Uh, I think the wide shots are cool. I think the faces right beside the ring are going to take a fucking a, a boatload of time to get used to. It's, it's it's they're too huge. The ones right there, you think they make those ones smaller? It's weird having it giant heads compared to Rokeens, or at least give them sound. Like it's just silent, so it just doesn't really. I don't know. It doesn't really doesn't do it for me because you still have this piped in crowd noise, but you can see everybody's face on the TV just being like lukewarm at best, you know. Or if How there's a, long do you guys give it till we see a butthole? Oh my god! Uh, that's like I don't know. That that's that's the thing that this this is such a bad fucking idea because of that. So many people are gonna do fucked up shit on those screens, and they're gonna have to hurry up and quickly like change camera angle or some shit, and it's 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 gonna be a disaster soon. I so I not to cut you off there, Rob, but. Um, I honestly believe this is Vince McMahon we're talking about. And I mean, we know him pretty well, you know, and throughout the years, you know, it feels like a grandpa to me, but, um, you actually think he's letting live feeds on this fucking show. There's no way. Well, I, I tried he's to a- sign up for one. Cause I was like, well, it'd be fun to talk about on the show. If I got to do one, they, they sell up quick, like won't sell it's free, but they fill up quick and they have like 10 pages of rules before you sign up for it, which leads me to believe it is live because they're saying like you can lose your spot and you can be fined for, they had a no AEW shirt pretty much rule. It, they didn't mention AEW, but it was no competing company shirts, but they said any lewd behavior you can be fined for. So I do think it is live and that's why they have that in there. Oh man. I just, I'm having a hard time thinking that, you would leave something like that up to chance. I mean, obviously you have rules, but for Christ's sakes, you're telling people to wear masks and that work is that's working about 25% of the time. So, I mean, do you think people are really going to read that and be like, Oh, you know what? I'll follow all these rules to the T, you know, this is, this just doesn't happen. The, the rules were hilarious. It's like WWE attire is preferred and like just all this shit they had in there. It was legit like 10 pages. I screenshotted all of it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, you know, the only thing I think they could do is maybe they're having all the Zoom calls running through one check center and they're just like flipping through each Zoom call as they come in. Like, okay, this guy's wearing a DDP shirt. Okay, this guy's wearing a Bull Club shirt. Nope, get a new guy in, you know, something like that maybe. that Even that's ridiculous. No, yeah. I want to get to Vengeance because it's a long one and I have thoughts, but – how do you think this improved it, Lance? I didn't watch. I watched like the video of Vince addressing it because I was curious what it looked like and stuff. Do you think this brings people back at all? And if no. it does, does it retain them? No, I, I think that this is this is the E kind of thinking they're outsmarting the competition. And then we see that AEW is going to open up their arena to 10%, 10 to 15% capacity. So he's already beat. They've already beat Vince McMahon at their own game. No, because, but it did get you to tune in, you said. And you, yeah, and you said I mean, first time in forever. 
I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so the Thunderdome concept for me, it was just interesting. It's it's an interesting visual. Anytime there's something interesting going on, you want to kind of check it out and things like that. But I believe that he came up with this concept in like the middle of the week, and then AEW announces that they are going to um, have actual people. And I think this was Vince's way of being like, ha ha, I'm going to get people in the building before you. And it's just not true because AEW is actually opening their arena up. But so the concept is cool. I just don't know. To me, I think you're getting a little bit of too technologically advanced because if something goes wrong, dude, this whole thing's going to be a disaster. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I commend them for trying to, I commend them for trying to have fans interact and things like that. But with no sound, it's just there's a big barrier there. I just don't know how I feel. About I'll it. say this in comparison to AEW. I'm with you. I think AEW takes the edge. Even with very little fans, that's still fans. I've watched enough indie shows to be okay with very little fans. But compared to other professional sports, I won't lie. I like the Thunderdome better than the cardboard cutouts I see everywhere else. You two are more of the sports guys. What do you think on that? I Uh, mean, go ahead, Rob. I I definitely think, um, because like, was it was it the Do- L.A. Dodgers? They did like CGI fans. And they had them leave in the seventh inning stretch, and like all the other baseball teams are doing cardboard cutouts. Either they're filling up the entire arena with them, or they're only doing like one here or there. Um, I think it's a better idea. I mean, it's definitely a better idea than Raw Underground. Um, but I I agree with Lance's statement. I think that they should actually allow the sound to come through because like you get a if there's a, a spot where it's a big pop spot you have a weak crowd interaction filtering in at that time because it's probably on random loop you know it, it takes away from the match because everyone on the screen's like oh my god holy shit that spot and then you get like a crowd noise it, it's 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 it defeats the purpose of even having the screens i yeah i mean that's and that's exactly how i feel about it like look i understand what you're trying to do you're not only trying to have that fan interaction, but you're also just trying to make the show look different. And I get that, but I don't know. This wall of faces, it's going to take a lot of time to get used to. Definitely agree. All right. So moving on from the fake people to back to a time when we had real fans, this is our first pay-per-view vengeance, July 21st, 2002 from Detroit rock city, Michigan. Rob, read the date again for the people watching along. Uh, I didn't write down the day. I just put Vengeance 20. Damn it. July 21st, 2002. <laughs> well, this is easy to find because it's in pay-per-views. You want to skim through a thousand Raws and Smackdowns. Exactly. exactly. That's why I just put Vengeance 2002. <laughs> Lance. Yes. No pressure. Did you yeah. actually watch it? I did. Okay, I did. good. I, I, uh, um, contrary to popular belief, your boy likes to study a little bit. And even though I saw this pay-per-view live, I can remember it vividly. Uh, I just wanted to go back and kind of refresh my memory. So I did. I can tear away this whole page of insults for if Lance didn't (laughs) watch the show. Shit. Damn, man. I mean, once you're there, big big old aim. I I know since Lance did watch it, he probably popped off at the start of the video package that they played at the beginning of the pay-per-view. Why is that, Lance? Because... Uh, so what was the theme song? I mean, it was edited out, but there was some kind of theme song that, I mean, this was the new metal age, man. When they're using, uh, this wasn't, uh, bring me, this wasn't bring me to life by Evanescence, but it was somebody, it was weird. Like I remember the song well, but I don't remember it. It's, it's losing me. What, what was it, Rob? What, what what got me fired? It was, it was downfall by trust company in the background without the lyrics. Yes, it was. 
they use the most famous quote from your favorite movie ever, Pulp Fiction, Come to on, start baby. it. Come on, baby. Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, baby. Jesus Christ. Then that and that Bible verse doesn't exist, by the way. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> does it isn't that true? That's not a real Bible verse? It's no, not a real Bible verse. <laughs> All right, I mean, technically it's there. Like technically, you are uh technically, I mean, those that actual passions exist, but the words are all scrambled up. It's oh, that's some all my favorite movies and quotes and everything aren't real. Yes, I mean that's it's the way it works, Greg. It's called Make believe, my friend. Well, I mean, I'm not a religious person in the slightest anyway. I don't believe in any of them. At least that was the cool one of the cool ones I could hang on to. Now I just pull it down. About, hold on. Are we talking about vengeance or religious preferences? Wait, Rob's the one who brought the <laughs> damn thing up. Okay, what do you think of the intro? It's standard ruthless aggression era intro video. Hold on, man. This intro package. Um, d- yeah, you're right. During this era, the ruthless aggression era, just fantastic shit. I mean, they used a, a bunch of cool songs you know throughout this year and, and the year after so i was a big fan of it what, what about you rob uh, i liked i like how they used the quote and towards the end of the quote uh, when they got around like the the using vengeance in the quote they started peppering like kurt angle's voice and the rock's voice and the undertaker's voice mm-hmm. i like i like that aspect of it it was this like you just said this era has some of the best video packaging that they ever did and this this was just part of the course in my opinion oh yeah um, then we got our Times Square shot with Tori Wilson, Don Marie, which that would I'm so sad that shut down because that would be the coolest thing to watch a pay-per-view there. I never got to. I wish I would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real. Um, this first match. I'm not a fan at all. I'm I know I'm supposed to save that for the end of the match, but I have a shit ton of issues with this match. Can, what do you guys talk, think? Can we talk about how weak the the stage setup was first, though, before we get into the Oh, it was a match? giant inflatable V? It was just the raw stage with a giant available inflatable V, yeah. like. <laughs> well, this might have been the time when they – they had it for a couple more years, but they scaled back drastically. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure they had it for a couple more years, but um, sometimes you just run out of ideas, you know? Yeah. Uh, we're getting Adam or we're getting yeah, Adam Cole. We're getting Michael Cole and Taz for the first half of the show. Yeah, that was oh, weird because yeah. later on during this time, they just split Raw guys call Raw matches, SmackDown guys call SmackDown trade off for inner brand matches. That was weird how they split the whole show down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's the first thing that I noticed was that Cole and Taz were, uh, they're going to be on the first half of the show, which I was not a fan of. I was a big JR and King guy. So. See, I was a SmackDown um, guy. I always loved Cole and Taz because that's who I got to watch all the time. I only watched Raw if I'd stay at my grandma's. But which... Michael Cole is Vince McMahon's favorite announcer of all time because he can read fucking ads like nobody's business. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and tonight is brought to you by Progressive. Don't forget to save 15% on your car insurance by switching to Progressive or whatever. Anyway, well, go ahead. Lance, I don't know how much you listen. I will not be offended. But me and Rob have honestly really been liking this Dudley's team up of Bubba and Spike compared to Bubba and Devon. Nothing against the original two, but I really like the big man, little man dynamic and everything they got going on. What do you think of them? So Bubba Ray and Spike here, obviously this is when they split up after the brand split. Bubba Ray went to Raw, Devon went to SmackDown, became Reverend Devon. But... um, Bubba Ray and Spike, I mean, for this time, they, they were good. Like, you're right. They have that big man, little man dynamic. I always thought Spike Dudley was kind of underrated um, as a like as an in-ring performer. I think he could go. You'll you know, fit all right in. Yeah. I mean, that's – and uh, 
So, I mean, going all the way back to just watching him get tossed around by Mike Awesome in ECW, you know, it's just um, – but, you know, Bubba Ray and, and Spike were fine. You know, obviously you're not the original Dudley boys. But, I mean, going getting an opening match against Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, you can't really complain about that, can you? Not at all. In, on paper, no. No, I mean, and you're right. Like, sometimes sometimes teams have chemistry and then sometimes they don't. And you would think that Benoit and Guerrero would have chemistry with everyone. But obviously, uh, as Greg has so eloquently put it, uh, they didn't in this match. Rob, what do you think of the match in general? And then we'll get into some of the spots. Um, the- I, I, the match confused me a lot, a, a, like a lot of just the interactions and how. So, like they said on the announce team, announce table that or the the announce team said that the rules are simple. You just have to put both your opponents through a table. So okay, so this is a no DQ match. You just have to literally. It's a tor- it's gonna be a tornado tag. You just have to put the other the other two guys through the table before they put you two guys through those two tables. And it's like it started out as a tra- yeah, traditional tag match. The only clarification they had that made sense is sometimes it's first member of a team that goes through match wins. Other times it's elimination. I'm like okay, they're doing elimination style. Yeah, I mean, like so. I so w- was this. Because I remember the first couple of uh, like tag team table matches, like you had to put both guys through, but eventually they just went to one. Yeah, yeah. you know. So I mean, but like here, it's kind of cool to see that's still like old school mentality. You know, I liked that part. I just don't get why they're using tag rules in it. Yeah, like the yeah. only way to win is to put them through the table. You can't get DQ'd. Why are they tagging? And then they quit doing it halfway through the match. Yeah, I mean, no, you're not wrong in that sense, but. Yes. No, and not only that, but at the beginning of the match, like Eddie and Ben Wallace are double teaming the shit out of Spike when he finally gets in the ring, and Bubba Ray keeps trying to come in to break it up, and the ref keeps stopping him. It's like, it, dude, it's a it's a no DQ tables match. Why are yeah. you holding him back? Why is the ref even in the ring? For one, I put the ref spends more time with with Spike in the corner than doing anything else. I mean, with Bubba in the corner. Um, yeah. The other big thing is Bubba goes through a table. But it doesn't count because he wasn't "quote unquote" put through the table. Yeah, oh, that's when that's when it gets really wishy washy. That's when you're like, dude, like I don't even think you understand what these rules are when you say shit like that. No, you know, I just made that up right now. But was yeah. that a botch or was it looked like a planned spot? I I mean, you got to look at it as so. They try to be confusing without being confusing. Because, first of all, you guys are right. You're using tag team rules in a fucking tables match. I mean, come on now. Let's be realistic here. And you're also like, the referee's getting involved way more than he should. So, I mean, it could be one of those things where it's a planned spot, but then people don't know, you know, they're calling an audible or whatever, like live. I, I didn't like that spot in particular. I don't know about you guys. I didn't I didn't care for the spot too much. No. Yeah. I didn't like it. I didn't care for a lot of the spots in this, like that Rob, spot. What did we talk about texting? What other spot that you thought uh, would be would get my ire the most? Oh, the uh, when Spike puts Eddie through the table with the Dudley dog, but Eddie doesn't technically go through the table at all. He just bends over the table and Spike completely obliterates it. That, it, but then Eddie's out. Like it made no sense. You, you, Eddie didn't technically go through the table. He just stood there and then fell into the table after it was already destroyed. Like it made no sense. Yeah, I mean, 
at the end of the day, like you watch something like this and you're like, wow, this thing's a fucking mess. Like you're trying to like it. You're trying to like get into it. But like at the end of the day, some matches are just messes. And this was a perfect example. Oh, definitely. I I listened to your one with the undercard show free advertising, by the way that you do with Jay. And I know you two are not fans of how AEW's tag team matches are done. You say they're a little too loosey goosey with the rules. Yes. Yes. And, I don't necessarily agree, but I'll say that complaint fit this 100% because the beginning is all tag rules. It's Bubba goes through a table, but it doesn't count. Spike goes through a table, but it eliminates Eddie. And then they abandon the tag rules halfway through the match. This was a time where I'm like, I feel like Jim Cornette. None of this makes sense. I'm mad about it. Yeah. I mean, so I was just, I was actually going to mention that point. So thanks for doing it for me, Greg. Um, this match reminded me a lot of the AEW tag team division and what plagues that division so badly. Okay, look, we can sit here as wrestling fans and debate all day about what kind of tag team wrestling we like the most. To me, if you have too many tag team matches that don't follow the rules and you just have like a tornado style, they start to get stagnant and boring because you see it all the time. And then it just it's like the hell in a cell. How many times have we seen that over the years? And now the match doesn't mean a goddamn thing. But so... For me, this was very reminiscent of the tag team wrestling today. Fucking out of control. Don't know who the legal guy is. You don't know how many fucking times I watch a tag team match and somebody goes to pin somebody else and he goes, he's not, they don't know if he's a legal man or not. Drives me up a fucking wall, bro. Okay. So, I mean, from here though, like, look, this match was very, very reminiscent of, of newer tag teams. And, and it just, it, it was a sloppy mess for me. That's a, that's all I'll say. Oh, Lance, we rate these out of 10 because I don't like Meltzer's out of fives. Mm. Rob, what do you give this out of 10 stars? Oh, uh, I gave it we didn't four. even say the ending. Oh. Bubba, yeah. Bubba puts Benoit through a table. The Dudleys win. Although uh, Benoit did try to German suplex into it and it was fucking wild. So yeah. that would have been, been sweet. I, I think I think the uh, the bubble bomb through it hurt probably would have hurt worse than getting the German through it. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right, because that bubble bomb looks fucking terrible on your spine, man. Oh, yeah. It just um, looks like it's not a good time. I gave it a I gave it a 4 out of 10, because it's still, besides being extremely confusing, was decently entertaining watching the four of those guys actually work in the ring. But it was just so fucking confusing. I, as well, gave it a 4 out of 10, Mainly the second half saved it a little bit for me when they abandoned traditional tag rules in a table match, which is the time you should abandon those rules in that type of match. That picked it up enough, but not enough for a passing grade. I gave it a four. Um, so if we're just going straight off at 10, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit more generous than you guys. I'm going to go five and a half uh, just because anytime you get Benoit and Guerrero in a match, I mean, it's a good time, especially in this era. You know, this is, I believe this is right after Eddie Guerrero came back after being fired, if I'm not mistaken. This is when you know, Benoit returned from injury. Yeah. So, I mean, look, you got two of your powerhouse players back here. Um, was it the most fluid tag team match? No. Was it confusing? Absolutely. I still got to give it a five and a half, five and a half star, though, just because um, I feel like. Both teams did pretty well, and I'll never ro- I'll never rate a Benoit Guerrero match that low. So, you're right to your wrong opinion. I'll take it. <laughs> Next, we get this is a running theme throughout the night, and I may sound bitter. I was excited. That's because I was so excited about our first pay per view. 
And not that this was a bad pay-per-view, but I was hoping we'd get something a little better for the first one. But the running theme through the night is Triple H is going to sign to Raw or SmackDown. So Bischoff's being interviewed by Coach. This is only his second official night on the job, even though he showed up at SmackDown. And we see Triple H and Bischoff runs after him. But Triple H goes into Steph's office. There's not much more I can say on that. Any of you two? I I believe this was um like right at the right at the beginning of like Triple H's like run of terror through like 2002 2003. I think this is like because he was champion. I read some fucking ridiculous stat in like Triple H in 2003 was the champion for like 11 of the 12 months of the year. Oh yeah, and I was like, wow, it- what the fuck man it's coming up soon yeah once they and, introduce that world heavyweight title that's coming up real soon that, that's what i'm saying and so it's like this is kind of the beginning of that and it's actually funny because a lot of people give triple h shit a lot of people give him you know they think he's well he's married to the boss's daughter of course he's going to be higher up in the company but you know when i look back at it me personally and this is just a i'm gonna i don't mean to go off on a rant here but when i look back personally I think two or three of my favorite matches of all time involve Triple H. I mean, that that's the thing about it is like you don't realize you're just witnessing greatness until we're out of it. And I, I think this is I'm more not arguing which two though. I'm I'm curious. I mean, so like Royal Rumble two thousand, Cactus Jack and Triple H in that street fight, unfucking real. Amazing. Um Summer, yeah, SummerSlam two thousand two, which I think I'm gonna cover with you guys. That has probably my t- my favorite match of all time on it. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and the unsanctioned match. That that uh, is a killer of a match. Unreal, just unreal. Like that that match proved to me why Shawn Michaels has been my I, who I think is the best professional wrestler of all time. It would be Shawn Michaels. So, um, but I mean, and then you can go any slew of them. I mean, even Triple H's rematch with Cactus Jack, uh, Hell and Cell at No Way Out. I mean, that was fucking you know. And any match with The Rock. You go SummerSlam 98 and the ladder match for the Intercontinental title, Triple H and The Rock. I mean, I could go on and on. But Triple H, to me, he's kind of the man. You know, he gets shit. He's like John Cena, man. He got shit when he was at the top, but now he's kind of, you know, where he needs to be. So, Well, I'll say as a kid watching, I didn't know the backstage politics as much. And I thought Triple H was just an awesome wrestler. Yeah, I, I mean, that's I used to have the shirt, you know, screw the rules, play the game, you know, or whatever. Because I thought it was such a fucking badass. But, um... I don't know, like like Rob. What are your feelings on Triple H in this era? Uh, tri- Triple H was the workhorse of this company in this era, I believe. Oh, and like uh, until until Cena hit that that brass ring, uh, the next you know he was the next guy. I think Triple H helped carry the company to what it has become. Not only just in the ring, which would be ninety percent of it, but also the ten percent of it of him actually becoming a backstage. Um, executive or producer or agent, um, just everything everything he touched since um, like Michaels originally left because of the neck injury, um, and he was he became leader of DX in the you know this era. It's been gold. It's always been gold. Like mm-hmm. um, I don't I I've never watched a bad Triple H match. Oh, yeah, they're there. Like, they're, don't get me wrong. They're there. Look, I mean, like, the dude's been around for a long time. I'm sure there's been some sprinkling in there. But I always thought of Triple H as being our generation's Harley Race. Our generation's like Ric Flair, that ring technician 
that really knew what he was doing and really just could hold himself in the ring. And just that, that, and look, I, I, I know all the stories about this fucking guy. And do I think all of them are true? I would say 75%. He probably buried a lot of fucking people. Okay. He probably yeah, buried him and Shawn Michaels, that whole deal. I mean, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, this guy's, I mean, but at the same time, could you honestly say you wouldn't do the same thing in his position? Nope. I would, no. I would, I would probably do the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's easy for us to sit back and be like, Oh, what a prick. But you're trying to stay at the top level of your industry. And sometimes you got to throw people under the bus, man. It's not fun. Nobody has fun doing it except I guess triple H in this instance would because he was the champion, but um, I don't know. So I'm a big triple H guy and I, this segment didn't bother me as much as it might've bothered you, Greg. It didn't somebody. bother me. It's, it's the pay-per-view thing. I think like pay-per-views to me have always been more, this is where we just do matches and a few other little things. So when you have a yeah. running backstage segment throughout the night, sometimes will irk me a bit. Mm, mm, okay. Rob, would you like to fill Lance on, on why we love this next match? Uh, the the Jamie Noble with Nidia versus Kibben Cruiserweight title Just match? Just how great Jamie Noble has been. Ja- Jamie mm. Noble has been the shining star for me and Greg on this whole yeah. adventure of us starting this podcast, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember this era. I mean, he Nidia, um, Nidia was a great – she was a great, like, manager. And I thought she really excelled at that, you know, and – and so, uh, Jamie Noble, big standout for me in this era. So, I got to agree with you on that one. So, we get Jamie Noble with Nidia versus Billy Kidman for the Cruiserweight title. And Jamie Noble, so far, has been able to do no wrong for us on this. His comedy is great, and he backs it up with in-ring, like a mini Kurt Angle with a guy who can just do both for us so far. Um, although, this match didn't have a ton of crazy spots compared to their matches on SmackDown. Is still solid cruiserweight match. I always liked this cruiserweight division. No offense to the guys who came in, because I don't think it's their fault. But the I liked this cruiserweight era more than the 205 cruiserweight era, just because it felt like a part of the roster, not a separate thing. Oh, the 205 live is not a cruiserweight division. It's a fucking shame that that's even lumped into the same fucking thing, because you know what? I just reviewed... Uh, Fall Brawl 1996, and it just baffled me how fucking loaded the cruiserweight division was in WCW and why WWE never capitalized on it, never oh, understood. Man, it, that that 95 to like, what was it, like 99 with La Parca, yeah. Psychosis, Hooten 2, oh, yeah. uh, fucking yep. stacked. And like, I, I feel like while we're on while we're on this i feel like they had the right idea with the cwc but when the cwc ended they they crowned the cruiserweight champion they just they didn't have a plan after that i feel like so they were like oh we'll do we'll do a separate show and it's like no you should just probably kept them on nxt and let them just thrive there yeah so i mean like uh, i don't know but billy kidman i mean He's a WCWOG, and he's in the match here, so I was pretty excited to see that. What do you think of the match? Was there any like spots that stood out to you, either of you guys? Rob, you want to go first? Um, there was a powerbomb, the facebuster counter spot, which I thought was good. Noble mm-hmm. picked up Kidman to go for the powerbomb, and Kidman did a quick reversal to the facebuster. Um, I wrote that one down as well. That stood out to me. Uh, earlier, Lance, anything grab your attention? Oh. Well, go ahead, Rob. Did did you have another thought? Uh, earlier before that that happened, though, uh, 
no, they were on the outside and like Noble uh, Irish whip or uh, Kim and Irish whip Noble into the corner into his, the uh, corner of the ring. And when Noble got back up, he like grabbed Nidia and shoved him into Kidman to get control of the match real hmm. quick. I thought that was a Didn't good use of Nidia. The hill tactic as I thought it would. Did you notice that? Yeah, like the 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 thing is, I think the crowd, as much as Noble's supposed to be the heel of the cruiserweight division, along with Chavo, I the crowd's so behind him because of all the comedy gimmicks. I feel like it it doesn't work for him being a heel right now. Yeah, the crowd's really starting to turn around on him in a good way, I've noticed too, which isn't good for him right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh they also mentioned that Rey Mysterio debuts on Thursday, so that should be fun. I'm oh sorry. yeah. Uh, we did last on the last SmackDown episode. Chavo called him out and challenged him for his first match. So I'm stoked about yeah. that one. Yeah. Speak, cool. Speaking um, of that, no. um, I I did not look up what Boykin meant, but Lance's co-partner on uh, Word Up or Bird Up, the other member of the flock, Jordan Dukes, uh, informed me that Boykin means boom. So boom boom six one nine does not sound right to me anymore. So I, I'm back with the OG. Ray Mysterio theme yeah. completely. Original theme wins. I think his I think Ray Mysterio's um WCW attire and his theme music were the greatest combination I can remember in a long time. Uh his theme music was so awesome and I hated when he switched that stupid shit he had in this era. So I'm the jury's still out with Ray Mysterio. I didn't. I wasn't a fan of. I was a fan of Mysterio in the first part of his career. Then when he hit WWE, I just couldn't fucking stand him anymore. I just couldn't stand him. So. Oh, I love first run WWE. Like before, like he started winning world titles. Like I love that original run with him there. I mean, well, you guys are going to get into it, so it should be interesting. Um, uh, just, something well, that stood out to me in this match was that Billy Kidman's got a beautiful shooting star press. Oh, fucking he, beautiful. I mean, it's. And uh, Noble hitting with the Tiger Bomb at the end to win the match. I mean, a perfect, that Tiger Bomb, great. perfect Tiger Bomb. I love those fucking double underhook power bombs. Those are like some of my favorite fucking moves because they're just so pretty. They're so fucking pretty when they're pulled off. So you know, yeah. am I correct that Billy Kidman only botched the Shooting Star one time in his whole career? And that's I mean, I that's could, what I, ended his career. Pretty sure, yeah. And that's, I mean, the thing about Kidman is, I don't know if you guys watched a lot of late era WCW, they actually put him against Hogan in like a series of matches and they thought Billy Kidman, Billy Kidman was going to be their next fucking star. Billy Kidman, right? This fucking guy was in the flock forever. It got destroyed, you know, by Raven and everyone. Then he started looking like with the white beard and the jean shorts. And so I don't know. But Billy Kidman being the cornerstone of your company, come on, man. Didn't well, I mean, I was he in that Vi- Viagra on a pole match? Was Kidman in that? Yeah, yeah. I remember him that. That, that was, was Jerry. Ugh. That was all Russo's doing, man. That's why Russo's the I, worst. I mean, I agree with you, bro. <laughs> I agree with you that Russo's the fucking worst. Okay. That guy gets so much shit, though. It's like, could you not turn around and tell this guy to fuck off? I'm not doing that. Listen, I'm not doing that. Listen, bro, bro, listen, bro, listen to me, bro, bro. Listen. He's already down the ramp, bro. And let me tell you, he's already down the ramp. So what are you going to do? You got to really sell the leg, bro. You got to really sell the leg, bro. Anyway, go ahead. What, what, what do you guys give this match out of 10? Christ almighty. Um, I'm going to give it a five out of 10. I thought it was 
I thought it was average for the most part for Ooh. what these guys can do. Uh, I mean, for me, it, it was average based on what I've seen these guys do before. So for that, I give it a five. I'll go. I gave it a six. I I couldn't bring myself. I can't believe you rated that opening match higher than it for one. But it, I will agree with you. Knowing what these guys have just done the weeks leading up to this, this did feel a bit of a letdown from what I was expecting going into it. But I thought it was solid and just above passing. I gave it a six. I gave it a nine out of ten. What? Get the fuck! <laughs> Get the fuck out! A nine out of ten. Can I, I tell you? Amount of matches I given nine out of ten, and none of them include Jamie Noble or Billy Kidman and any of that combination. Get the fuck at a nine out of ten. Get the fuck. That is a Shane Riley. That is a Shane Riley type of fucking rating. A nine out of ten. Get the fuck out of here. Hey man, Rob. Did you watch the match, bro? Nine out of ten. I'm done. It was an awesome back and forth match. Um, Standard, as, as should be expected. The, the top rope sit-out powerbomb spot that ended in a 2.95 count was well done. A Just 9 saying. out of 10. A 9 out of fucking 10, man. Rob, I'm supposed to be on your side here. <laughs> a 9 out of 10. You're my Are tag you- team partner on this show. Come on, man. <laughs> You're going to make me go shield chair shot to you and break <laughs> up the team on this one. A nine out of ten, Rob. Please reconsider that. Okay, right give it. Now. Give it a seven. No. Okay. No. 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 This has been sealed already. <laughs> a nine out of fucking ten. That'll be in the Hall of Fame of terrible fucking takes. Nine out of ten. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well, we went four. Uh, what was it? Five, six, and nine. Okay. We get Mark Lloyd, our favorite guy who we didn't know existed until we rewatched this interviewing angle. Um, he's interrupted by Heyman and Lesnar. The only thing I liked about this, which I did kind of like, is it's a big long-term build towards their WrestleMania 19 match. Uh, yeah. Who, Angle and Lesnar? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, Kurt Angle in this period, I would say from like 2002 to 2006, is on my Mount Rushmore of, of wrestlers of all time. Uh, he was a killing machine, like in this era. I mean, I don't know what the fuck kind of, I don't know what juice he was on, what the fuck he was taking, but it he was, was a dude. killing machine, dude. It was perks. I oh. mean, it was fucking something, all right, this, but this- I got- I don't know. This, like, towards the end of his WWE run, so, like, 04 to 06, and then his entire TNA run, he was just straight. It wasn't Kurt Angle anymore. It was Perk Angle, dude. Just oh, I don't I don't give it whatever the fuck he was. He like, was entertaining hell. It was, it was worth it. <laughs> it was fucking, look, man, I'll take a couple of Percocets if it makes me the number one person in my field, you know? Yeah. It's going to be like that trainer that kept giving Z-Packs, except he doesn't give him perks out to Angle. <laughs> I would, man. Just go out there and keep having fucking spectacular matches. Uh, go take Shane McMahon and make him look like a fucking technical genius. Oh, okay. Kurt Angle can do that. Jesus Christ, man. This guy's on fucking fire here. And you're right. Josh Lloyd is a great, great fucking uh, interviewer. Mark Lloyd. I don't think you even care for this man. I don't even give a fuck who it is. Josh, Mark, does it really fucking matter? This guy's out of the company now. So, and he was the host of Velocity. So, you can't, gotta get excited about that. 
Uh, we get William Regal versus Jeff Hardy rematch for the European title. Oh, yeah. My boy, Jeff Hardy. You want to talk about Percocets, man. My boy, <laughs> Jeff Hardy. I mean, sober, you think, no, no. This is, you guys already covered the Undertaker uh, undisputed title match, ladder match, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is right about the time where Jeff Hardy started going off a fucking cliff, bro. Like, this is when he started just fucking, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Go ahead. The downward spiral began, yeah. One of the Regal. only notes I have for this match is I love barricade runs, and no one does them better than Jeff. I'll give you that. I mean, when he jumps up on there and runs across it, dude, it's it's pretty wild. He always um, looks like he's a second away from teetering off, too. He's swaying the whole time. It makes me nervous. Yeah, I mean, that's – Regal, I mean, Regal was – I think Regal was the most underrated wrestler. Um, I think Regal is one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. Uh, I didn't even really – like him, you know, I mean, when he was in WCW, he was like Lord Steven Regal and shit. Like, uh, I hated him when I was a kid, but like here, I mean, he just shows that him and Jeff actually have a pretty, you know, I mean, it's short, but they have a pretty cool match, I would say. Rob, you want to tell Lance why we've been liking William Regal aside from his wrestling, but the thing that's been standing out to us? Uh, his his facial his facial expressions, doing with the American crowds, his like pompous attitude. It's so it's so great. It's such good heel work. It's so subtle, but you always notice it, and it's perfect. Like, he doesn't overdo it and, like, stick his nose so high in the air like it's a cartoon, but he just looks disgusted constantly with everyone. This is right around the time when Jericho pissed in his tea, too. (laughs) I don't know if it's... I hope we get to cover that, because I'm going to be mad if that already happened. Uh, No, I think that this... uh, And he, like, drinks the tea, and they, uh, they get... They thought it was, I mean, it was fun. So nice going, Jericho. Did you guys, <laughs> did Jeff Hardy dye his armpit hair? I can't remember. They were talking about it. Taz kept bringing it up on commentary. Something okay, about I didn't even notice the dye on his arm or some shit. Then. I don't know if it, I don't know if he actually did or if it was just like the, the glow in the dark paint he had on his arms for his entrance. Oh, yeah. Well, like Lance pointed out, my biggest issue with this match, it was just too short for me. Uh, that was that your only issue with the match? Was there another issue I, that I remember? Cause, that cause, was my only issue because because Regal broke your first commandment of wrestling. Oh my god! Yeah, never mind. <laughs> you, so what's the first commandment of wrestling? You're just gonna keep me in the fucking. Oh, I oh, figured. Mr. Yeah, I listened to your show. You should know this, <laughs> but of course, thou shall not go for a triple cover. If it doesn't work the first time, you're not you gonna get him. Hold on, hold on. Don't fucking chastise me. You probably said that three fucking episodes ago. I say this every time this occurs, which with William Regal, this happens a lot. And John Cena. (laughs) But anyway, has there ever been an instance, Lance? Me and Rob don't think so, but you being a huge lifelong wrestling fan might recall one that a triple cover has worked where they didn't pin the first time and they just covered them again and it worked. I mean, unless you're talking about like those. So you're talking about a pin, a pin attempt, kick out, and then they immediately try to pin him again. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, sometimes different combinations, either not like different roll up style, like flat leg hook, pin, kick out, leg hook, pin, kick out. I mean, I was thinking of like a squash match, but typically you just have your hand on the chest and you pull them up and then, and then you put them back down. But like, that, Nothing that, that really rings the bell. So, yeah. So uh, this has never worked, and I'm getting tired of seeing it every week because <laughs> it happens. 
It's Look, so Greg, it, while, it, while, it, while you're hold on, hold on here, Greg. <laughs> while you're you know touching yourself to whatever it anime you're watching or whatever, these guys, these athletes, are out here putting on an excellent you know world caliber match, and you're fucking worried about the triple pin, the shit that is real, bro. It's telling it's real. So I'm going to tell the writing of this television program I'm watching because it's bad writing. God it's, damn it, it's real to me. Look, uh, it, it's it's storytelling is what it is, man. It's bad storytelling. That's, it's lazy look, storytelling. Well, look, I mean, if, if we didn't have lazy storytelling, nobody would win by a fucking roll-up. But it happens. It has guess, a lot. guess when it happens? In this fucking match. This match ends with a fucking roll-up. So, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, so that's what I'm fucking saying. So, anyway, go ahead. Exactly. Nothing screams pay-per-view blow-off like a roll-up. Well, look, the match was about fucking three minutes long. So, I mean, what are we going to do about it? Exactly. Which is why I gave it a bare minimum passing of five stars. I gave it a seven out of ten. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. You rated this match higher than the tag team fucking title match or the table match to start. Me? Yeah. Oh, yes. 100%. Are you fucking kidding me? I think I have to look over. I'm pretty sure I rated that lowest was that table match. Are you fucking kidding me with that? That match was bad. There was no excuse for that talent to put on that level of match. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to give this one a four. I gave it a seven out of ten because I thought it was a mix. <laughs> of course you did. You was... fucking generous ass motherfucker. Generous. Hey. <laughs> I thought it was a good mix nice of both styles. Oh my this God. guy gave a kendo stick match <laughs> between Tommy Dreamer and Steven Richards that had maybe two moves in the match besides just baseball swings with kendo stick. Ten stars. Shut the fuck up. Ten. <laughs> I gave it a three. Acting like it's fucking Bruno San Martino taking on fucking Gorgeous George in the Madison Square Garden, you know? I mean, it was. It was Dreamer versus Richards. Boy. <laughs> They're right up there. <laughs> anyway. Jesus uh, Christ, we got to move. We get backstage. <laughs> Jeff's congratulated by Flair and Hogan. And Hogan and Flair talk about Bischoff. This is okay. This is actually the start of a very good rivalry between Jeff Hardy and RVD. Bet you didn't know that. No. I did not. I don't remember even seeing. How was RVD played into this? Because they they unified. I don't know if it's the next night or oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but I started that raw already. Yeah, with spoilers. Yeah, they uni they unify the titles in a in like a ladder match. Or I thought you meant this Hogan Flair segment somehow. That's where I was confused. No, Hogan and Flair. Jesus Christ. No. Anyway, continue. Uh, then we move on to Jericho versus Cena. Rob, what do you think? Um, I'm so defeated. Uh, I thought it was a decent match. Um, I'm only sounding defeated because I'm worried Rob's going to give it 11 stars. <laughs> yeah, Rob's going to fucking sit here and give this a 9 out of 5, and I'm going to throw this computer down the road. But anyway, um, go ahead. There wasn't really much that stood out. Um, the only spot that really stood out was uh, Cena hit a really good superplex on Jericho uh, as he yeah, caught I Jericho taunting. Yeah, um, I wrote that. Dude, that was a hell of a spot. Uh, Cena went for a stinger splash at Jericho in the corner, and Jericho called him square in the ribs with a drop kick. Thought mm-hmm. that was a good good reversal spot. 
Yeah. Um, I did not like Cena in the Red Sox colors. Yeah, I, that was I, I kind of just want him to be in George already. Uh, we're um, a while away yet. He hasn't even started rapping yet. Oh, I know. It's <sighs> Rob, you were bitching about his tights last week that he, they were Bruins, you know, brown and yellow. Or I like you were bitching about that. And now you're bitching about his attire here. Why the fuck does what he's wearing? Why does that matter so goddamn much? It's John fucking Cena, bro. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just I'm, uh, I like prototype. John Cena. <laughs> this is the prototype John Cena. You better put some respect on that motherfucking name, John Cena, baby. I will say I really love the finish to this just because I haven't seen this done often. I can't say ever, but reversing the walls where everyone, the way everyone does where they turn and like belly flop and send Jericho into a inside out spin, except he just twisted that and I know we don't like roll-ups, but I did like that reversal into a roll-up. I thought it was creative. I liked that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, look, Jericho hit all the usual spots here. The bulldog into the line salt. Uh, Jericho, I mean, uh, like, but then he decides he gets a little cocky, tries to put him in the walls, you know, and then that's when he rolls him up for the win here. But uh, Jericho's the kind of guy I didn't like for the longest time until I realized that, the, the reason the guy's been around for 20 fucking years is because 25 years is because he can reinvent himself and he's one of the best wrestlers of all time. And so safest I've, I've, wrestlers for himself and everyone else has never injured anyone and never had a serious injury himself. Yeah. yeah and, and so that's good, you know, so you're, you got that mixed with the dudes have been around forever. I mean, but hitting, you know, the bulldog into the lines. I mean, this is just classic, classic Jericho spots. So. Right. Rob, what do you give it? Uh, I gave it a six out of ten. Oh, I, wow. thought, I rated it higher than you. I don't uh, worry though. You gave Billy Kidman versus Jamie Noble <laughs> nine out of ten. So. Well, I, I gave thought it a seven. I thought this was a great showing for Cena coming out, and he didn't feel like a rookie to me in this match. I gave it a seven out of ten. I was entertained the whole way through. Like Lance said, even though we've seen it a thousand times, all the classic Jericho spots happened. I liked the character work where he had seen a beat. The match was his, and he got cocky, and that's how Cena won. More for a storytelling perspective, I went 7 out of 10. I mean, you're both not wrong. I'd probably go like a little bit lower, maybe 6.75, somewhere around there. Uh, I thought it was good throughout. Uh, obviously, you got a technician like Jericho, and you have an up-and-comer in Cena. Uh, this is when Cena could not really find his footing, and they almost fucking released him. Oh, yeah. So. This is where he's just trying – this is before he's Super Cena, before he's fucking beating everybody. So it's kind of cool that we saw John Cena's entire come up. You know, like we've seen it from the absolute beginning. So uh, here and here it is in full force. So I'll give it a 6.75 out of 10. I'll take that. Yeah, um, it's, it's cool seeing Cena here. He doesn't even have the FU yet. I don't – I will not call it the AA. But the five moves of Doom aren't even in place yet. You'll see him hit like a variation of them here and there, but – it's nice seeing him find his footing this time. Yeah, I mean, for real. So, do you yeah. do you guys think the the match could have just went like maybe another minute, minute and a half longer? I was okay with this length. This okay. is right where I thought for a first pay per view match against a snarky guy who should have no problem beating him. I was okay with this length. Yeah, I mean, it, it hit it hit all the right spots. So, uh, where we get uh. Bischoff is outside of Steph's office. Stephanie's attorney walks in. This is still going. Um, here's what you guys talked about earlier. We get our announced team switch. 
Is it better? Like, so are they considered the main event announcers since they get the second half? They have to be. Come on. Yeah. At this point, everyone at this point, 2002 SmackDown knew this was the fucking B show. Knew it, dude. Yeah, true. I, now, granted, in like a year or two, I will not say that. But at this point, yes. I mean, this is right after the brand split. Raw had already been the established brand. So, I mean, SmackDown had a lot of making up to do. So, And plus, Michael Cole and Taz don't move the fucking needle for me. I mean, I'm a JR and King kind of guy. So, Have well, you noticed, though? Look at AEW. Who were out of the two teams, who's the stronger of each team for you guys? I, I was just about to say AEW Jim Ross is one of my least favorite announcers of all time which is hilarious because I think he is the voice of wrestling. Uh, I just think that time has passed my man by and uh, it's time for him to, to hang it up because I, he's on AEW man. When you watch it in and out, like he's forgetting stuff, he's going everywhere. It's like, dude, like he just doesn't got the magic for me anymore. But here, 2002, you know, I'd say 97 to 2005. He's the greatest announcer of all time in that time frame. And of all time, anyway. So, Rob, uh, I don't have a comment. I I mainly only watch like highlights of AEW right now because I can't get TNT or Fair TV. What I was saying, I think AEW on paper made a great choice because looking at this time period, you have the two teams: Michael Cole and Taz, and Jr. and King. Jr. was obviously the better of the two, and Taz was the better of the two on SmackDown, and they snagged both of them and left the other two behind. Now, I don't want to see King in AEW my whole life. I swear to God, I will throw a remote through the TV. But if you're going to take two of them, I think they took the right two. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with that. Like Taz has always been strong. He brings a strong play-by-play presence because you know, he's been a wrestler before. So, um I don't care for him as much anymore, but you're right. I mean, those are big coups, so Sorry, Lance, I'm going to cut you off. Um, Did you guys enjoy a little bit of storytelling when uh, Taz stood up and him and King were, like, trying to get past each other? They had, like, an awkward handshake moment. Oh, I did. That whole, this place might as well be made out of toilet paper because it's a bunch of crap. I did like that. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, because... Waller throughout his career called it extremely crappy wrestling. Yep. And this is the preface, the, not to spoil anything, but as we kind of go further, I, it might've been right before this, but they actually feud Taz and Jerry Lawler actually have a match. Yeah. I think, I think it was the WrestleMania before this that they, are you? What's that? You're not talking about the ECW one night stand match. Are you? No, I'm talking no. about like there was, there was a match. Actually, no, no. There's no way it was that easy. I don't know, but they feud with each other over Jim Ross and shit. So uh, it is a great storytelling. Well, so. We get a good one next. We get Lesnar versus RVD for the Intercontinental Title. The uh, this match has been great. Yo, the, this is actually a rematch from King of the Ring. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because uh, RVD and Brock Lesnar met each other in the finals, and Lesnar came out on top. I remember that was the one of the first pay-per-views I ever watched on like a cheater box. You remember those? <laughs> like, thing you got like pay-per-views for free. King of the Ring 2002 was the first one I ever, because that was my first exposure to like, because when I was growing up, I never watched Raw. I was always a Nitro guy. 
Yeah. So when, when they bought the company, I had a hard time kind of transitioning. I mean, I watched, obviously I watched like everybody else did during Austin's era and Austin's upbringing and, and things like that. But uh, I was mostly a WCW guy. And so, and I remember watching ECW sometimes uh, whenever it was on TNN. But I think anybody who tells you, oh, I only watched ECW is a straight up liar. As much no, as people love ECW, it, no yeah, one only ECW, watched ECW as a kid. I, I agree with you because if they watched as much as they said they did, they'd still be in fucking business. Exactly. Like it's like, so it's, um, I caught it a couple of times, but it was never, I mean, it was only on TNN for like 11 months. Maybe it wasn't even, it, it was like a full year. And then they switched to bring raw over, which I'm sure you guys are going to cover. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so RVD never really had a bad match in this era. He is one of my under like, He's probably my top 10 favorite wrestlers of all time, RVD, if we're being honest. he Nobody moved like him. Even to this day, I think he's one of the best-looking uh, wrestlers as far as like the actual acrobatics of it are. He's one of the most athletic dudes. And obviously matching him up here with the, uh, the monster that is Brock Lesnar. And this is pre when Paul Heyman would bring the mic and stuff. So very, very excited for this match when I saw it. Uh, cool video package, you know, yada, yada, all that stuff. Um, I put the beginning of this match, RVD is just being a counter and martial artist machine at the beginning yeah. of this match. Mm-hmm. No one's moving like him, and it works real well against a monster type, like you said, Lesnar, with just what he's able to do. And Rob will yell at me because I'll get all of his weird named moves wrong, so I'll let Rob take over here. <laughs> Um, he did a really, uh, there was a really cool drop toe hold to the middle turnbuckle that turned into a spinning heel kick spot. Um, Lesnar did, RBD tried doing a moon, uh, an Isaiah moonsault to the outside and Lesnar caught him in an Oklahoma slam position and just slammed him so damn hard on the mat. That thought was so loud, like depth in the crowd. I wrote like, that down as a turning point too. That's where the match started turning. And then uh, the the other spot besides the finish that caught my eye was RBD went for the the monkey flip in the corner and Lesnar just fucking whipped him over the turnbuckle and RBD like kind of awkwardly fell down the still steps. But, yeah, I mean this uh, I don't know this match had I hate and I I don't mean to jump all the way to the end of the match but I hate fucking disqualification finishes and matches where you know, that are very easily predicted. Obviously, you're not going to have Brock Lesnar lose right here. Obviously, you're not going to. So you almost booked yourself into a corner here because you're like, you're not going to have fucking Brock Lesnar lose, but you're also not going to have him go to SummerSlam and face The Rock and be the, you know, be the Intercontinental Champion. It's just not going to happen. So D- DQ was the only way to end this. I mean, don't you guys think? Yeah, you I agree. Cause... It would be some sort of a dusty finish, even if it wasn't DQ, but it would have to be some sort of interference or something like that. No one was going to uh, clean. Yeah, because not not only like you don't want Lesnar going for a title versus title match at SummerSlam, you don't want him to lose because you're building him up to be so much more. Dude, RVD was probably the second most over person in the company in this time frame in this last month. Every time yeah. he came out, besides you know Taker, The Rock, or Hogan. Because they're all tied for one in my eyes, crowd reaction-wise. RVD was right behind them. So you can't have him lose. So I, I feel like they should have did like a, a double count out over a DQ because I think it still was safe base. 
But I still, I just don't think you book the match. If we're being honest, you don't book that match right here when you know Lesnar's next step is winning the undisputed title. Yeah, but I mean, what's true now was true back then. They do not book that long term. Yeah, I know, and that, and that's a, and that's a shame. Um, I RVD did hit the five star, which is the most beautiful frog splash of ever. Um, and then, I mean, but, but he got a lot of cool stuff in obviously Lesnar just overpowered him, you know, for most of the match. That was his MO at this point, it you know, too. it looked scary watching him. He looked, he looked like he's beating the shit out of you. Yeah. And, I, I mean, that's, I'll take it. I didn't, I didn't write it down, but I'm remembering it. Um, cause I watched the match earlier. Uh, he had him in like that reverse, like fall away slam where like RVD, he's like holding RVD, but not like stomach to stomach. He's holding RVD like back to stomach and he's just repeatedly doing gut busters to him on his knee. Oh. Like uh, that hurt my ribs watching. <laughs> like He was the, like a lot of people give Lesnar shit, but like Lesnar in this era was fucking just an unstoppable force, man. Like, he was unbelievable. Oh, it's two different guys completely. There's current Lesnar and that Lesnar. Yeah, this this Lesnar actually cared. Yeah. The Lesnar now does not. Like, you can just tell he's just there to, like... I can remember Lesnar making his debut and just absolutely obliterating Spike Dudley in the middle of the ring and just he was just a puddle of nothing, dude. Like, because he powerbombed him three times. You We're going to get to Zach Gowan eventually, and I can't wait for that. Oh my god! That's soon. Um, well, anyway, the match ends with DQ because Paul Heyman breaks up a pinfall. He and yeah, then yeah. we get what I love. Charles Robinson loses his shit and starts yeah. attacking Paul Heyman. Whoa, fucking a man! And that seeing old little Nate out there, you know, throwing the throwing the haymakers. <laughs> Van Dam does go for the Van Terminator, which I thought was sick. Uh, that did, that move was fucking way ahead of its time. And uh, I was always a big fan of when he did it. Uh, before, uh, well, anyway, the the obvious what you think's gonna happen happens. Lesnar saves Paul. Um, Lesnar basically gets the upper hand in the fight. F fives RVD onto a chair. But what do you guys give the match? I gave it overall with everything that happened. Even though it was a bad book match, like me and Lance, me Lance and you discussed, the match itself was really good back and forth. Um, and just the storytelling at the end with the DQ finish, because that's the only way you can do it. Um, I gave it an 8 out of 10. I agree with what you said. Despite a finish, it was a real fun match. I wasn't bored at all during it. I gave it a 6.5. Yeah, damn, Rob. You were the most generous... The most generous fucking match grader ever. I bet people would long for you to be in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, you know. But um, I'd give this match about six and a half. That sounds about right. I mean, there was a lot of back and forth here. Lesnar obviously overpowered him throughout most of it. But RVD is the one of the most athletically gifted wrestlers we had seen. So um, I... I I'm a big RVD guy, and I thought the King of the Ring match might have been a little bit better than this one, but I don't think they did anything outrageous to really, you know, turn me off. So I'll give it six and a half. I probably gave the King of the Ring one a ten out of ten if we would watch King of the Ring. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to pay per view grading. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, you are being really good with the grades today. I was—I feel weird. I was complaining about this match quality, you know, the show, and 
you're probably like, what the hell is Greg talking about? <laughs> I've never watched. Uh, we get another Steph, Eric Bischoff, Triple H segment. Trip, uh, Steph walks out, tells Bischoff he signed. Bischoff yells at Triple H. Triple H says he signed his divorce papers. Curb your enthusiasm. The thing starts playing. It's awesome. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, weird, weird shit. This is straight up WWE textbook shit right here, by the way. Oh, yeah. Especially yes. the, the McMahon storylines are always the weirdest storylines. Yeah, I, I'll never understand it. But uh, We get Big Show versus Booker T. No count out, no disqualification. This is right after Sean kicked his head off when he, they were both in the NWO. This is mm-hmm. the NWO just was disbanded last Raw with no reasoning. It does not classic, exist anymore. Classic WWE, classic. Vince walked out and said, "There's no more NWO," and that was it. Um, okay. I mean, what better way to just put an end to a faction than have Vince McMahon go out there and fucking do it, right? It's the only uh, way. <laughs> Uh, Lance, you want to kick what you thought of this match off? So, I mean, no disqualification. You're going in here with Booker T in the big show. At this point, the big show wasn't completely face heel, face heel for 12 times. So, um, I thought it was an all right match. Uh, obviously, um, Booker hits show with the monitor on the Spanish announce table. I thought that was a cool, like, little. And then he actually scissors kicks him through the table, and I think that was a fucking cool spot. Probably the best spot. I've never seen that before. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then he hit the Houston hangover, which I was was like, Christ almighty, when's the last time he pulled that one out of the old repertoire? Probably like 98. uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I thought it was fine for what it was. It didn't blow me away, but I thought it was good throughout. Rob? Um, Lance pretty much hit everything I had except for, uh, Booker T we, at the beginning, very beginning of the match, we had that, uh, Booker T went for a chair shot and big shit just punched a fucking chair out of his hands again. I think it's like the third time since we started watching, he's done it. And like, it just never gets old watching it as a spot. Um, the, uh, uh, Booker T reversed the choke slam with a low blow. Um, that set up the scissors kick to do the Houston hangover. That's really it. Lance hit everything I had. I I only had two things. One wasn't a spot, but Big Show is like a diesel truck to where he might be great once the match gets rolling, but he takes a minute to warm up. Yeah, I, get, yeah, I can totally agree with that. Every match. I mean, like, look, if we're talking Big Show, I mean, look, like I said, I'm reviewing – 1996 WCW right now. And that's when I think the big show was in his prime. And I think that the giant WCW was fantastic. The big show had its moments, you know, it had its like little here's and there, but nothing really that blew me away or anything. Uh, but, but this match here, I think, I think it served its purpose. So. Did you guys catch the, what would not fly today from King here? No, I missed it. Oh, the- Finish announce teams in the way, and he's telling them to go away. He goes, on today, on today, move it, move it. I'm like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, when I, after I said no, I, I realized what you were saying, what you're talking about. King gets a, even another thing like that later in this, but yeah, King's something else. Yeah. I mean, this era, King is just unfucking real, but. Um, yeah. What do you guys give the match? Oh, we get Spinner Rooney after the match. What do you guys give it? Look, I 
probably five and a half. I'd go 5.75 probably. It, it was fine, you know. Anything I rank between five and 6.25 are, are relatively just thin hairs. So, but I'll give this one 5.75. I think it, it uh, served its purpose well. I thought I really marked out for the Houston hangover, and the scissors kick through the table was a cool spot. So I'll go five, 5.75. You two seem to enjoy the match a little more than me. Maybe I was just off, but I, I like the Houston hangover, and I loved that spot through the table. That wasn't enough to get me to a love, but it gave it a just passing to me. I gave it a five. Interesting. So, Rob, what's it you, Rob? I gave it a six and a half, mainly because again, everything you guys already said, I I marked way out for the Houston Hangover. Like I didn't believe I watched it, so I rewound it and watched it again because, like Lance said, like that's something that he did not pull off often when he came to WWE, Especially and probably it seemed like, which is weird, he busted it out, but. Yeah, but like he probably had hadn't hit it for like two years. So, uh, Rob. Up next, we get more of the bane of this podcast's fucking existence. Mm-hmm. We cut to Tori Wilson and Don Marie at the WWE headquarters, and they start bringing up that stupid golden thong again. Uh, yep. Uh, Tori gloats that she won it, and she's picking the Rock to win tonight. Dom Marie picks The Undertaker. Uh, Dom Marie says that she should have won the goddamn Golden Thong Award because she has a better thong-wearing butt, and I hate this fucking golden thing so much. Lance, I don't know if you remember this Golden Thong Award, but it was uh, like Miss Diva competition that they did, and you won the Golden Thong. And this has been fueling storylines ever since. Well, I mean, look, I'm really in tune with this era, Tori Wilson, who is fucking smoking, you know. And uh, Don Marie is actually isn't bad herself. I think they're two very pretty ladies. Which uh, I've always, always been team Don Marie out of the two, but fair point. Get the fuck out of here! Always. I remember, I remember hearing an interview with Kevin Nash, and he said that there's a rumor going around that I slept with Tori Wilson. He goes, I fucking wish. Like, <laughs> I wish, man. Like, I wish that was fucking true. Um, look, I this Golden Thong thing, typical, typical Vince McMahon around this time, so I have no comment. Like, like the like it's it haunts me, not so much Greg, but, like, okay, so, like, SmackDown, here comes the pain. Do you want to know what the save file image for the PS2 is? It's a fucking Golden Thong Award. <laughs> like, fuck. Owen Hart was the two-time Slammy Award-winning Owen Hart. So maybe here they could be the one-time Golden Thong-winning Tory Wilson. We're, we're giving way too much time to this. I feel like you talking about baseball. I, I don't want to speak or hear about <laughs> Golden Thongs again for the rest of my life. But Good deal. Uh, who wants to take this? Because I hate going over just promo stuff. Lance, you want to talk about what happens next? The Triple H. I thing? mean, sure. Why not? I mean, Triple H comes out and he says that uh, he's worthy of a whole segment. You know, and they're t- they're just really piping this up because he's going in as uh, a free agent. Uh, Bischoff comes out to obviously, you know, go over. Oh man, if you come to Raw, you'll get uh, movie deals and sponsorships. Oh, Stephanie. I meant to add- has Bischoff ever worked in movies? 
Yeah, he's uh, he's an old marketing guy. Like he actually, uh, he since he's been away from wrestling, I think he does a lot of like he sh- he shoots TV pilots. He comes up with ideas for them and then he pitches them to to networks. That's, oh, that's what cool. he. Does. I didn't know if this that was just like a kayfabe thing or if he actually did like how Million Dollar no. Man wasn't a millionaire, but I didn't know yeah. that was it. Well, I mean, uh, in old WCW, he got the job as executive producer. When he's the one that came up with the Nitro and things. But he got that job because he was a wrestling guy because he worked for Vern Gagne in the AWA. But he was also uh, a marketing and advertising guy, and that's why he got that job doing that. So that's something that he is really in keen with, and obviously. Gotcha. So, Go no, I mean, yeah, for, I mean, for storyline purposes, it's cool. Because it's like that's actually what Bischoff is all about, you know. Um, obviously, Stephanie comes out and says that when they were together, they were unstoppable and they can be again. But now it's strictly business. Obviously, she wants him to come to SmackDown. Um, Triple H kind of goes over it, and he, he says he's going to go with the deal with the devil he knows. And then Shawn Michaels' music hits, um, and they kind of go back and forth because uh, Michaels has nothing to do now because you guys. I'd mentioned it earlier, the NWO was disbanded. Um, he asked Triple H about their friendship and says there's nobody in the world in the world that he had more fun with than Triple H and then in each other. And then Triple H says sorry to Stephanie, embraces Shawn Michaels, and I assume this means he's going to be joining Raw. Yeah, he's he's joining Raw from this. That's that's what I'm because this is leading up to SummerSlam 2002 with these two having probably one of my, probably my favorite match of all time. Um, Bischoff at the end says, you know, the difference between us, I have testicles and you don't eat a bitch slap. Would mm-hmm. not lie today. No. Or I don't know. Cause he's still painted as the villain. Maybe. I don't, could lie. There is a tape of Kevin Owens and Excalibur using the N word with the hard ER. There's a tape of that and they're suspended. So I don't think this is something that would just be brushed over. You That's know? true as they should be suspended. I didn't know Kevin Owens was on that. Cause I honestly haven't looked into yep. it. Caliber was in it. Oh yeah. It was a pro wrestling gorilla. You know, I'll tell you though. I, you know, I, I never, I don't really get this platform too much, but I think Excalibur makes, uh, I think Tom Phillips makes Excalibur sound like gorilla monsoon. So. <laughs> oh, Excalibur's a great announcer. I'm just saying I, you yeah, do that, you're going to live with the consequences. Great is a strong word, man. Great is good. He's all right. Like he's comparatively to because I think Vic Joseph arguably is the best announcer in WWE, and I don't think he got a fair shake on Raw. You know, but but like as far as like announcers now, Excalibur's you know because look who his competition is. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about you know I don't know. So to me. That thing at the end with the text testicles, I don't think it would fly on today's TV. No, nah, it definitely wouldn't, especially with how they did the whole uh, women's revolution, women's evolution or revolution in the women's division. It definitely would not get a good turnaround with their female fans right now. I don't believe it all. Fair point. Um, where we a uh, Rikishi interview about Triple H? Yeah. Random. I don't understand why, but okay. I like the next interview though because I I busted out fucking laughing when <laughs> I love Goldust Booker T segment so much. Oh, Goldust and Booker T, or yeah, Goldust and Booker T. Those are my dudes, man. Both of them when they were a tag team, fantastic shit. Okay, anyway, uh, when they're in Philadelphia, Goldust dressed up as Ben Franklin, and it was great. 
One of my favorite one of my favorite segments with Booker T and Goldust is when they're in the Seven Eleven, and Goldust has like the Allen Iverson jersey on or whatever, and he goes, "I'm," but he still has this like gold face paint on, and he goes, "Sorry, Booker, for this elaborate disguise." Like he has a jersey on, like that's it. Like it's so fucking, it's so fucking funny. He's like eat a hot dog or something. Like it's so fucking funny. Like, and then he's like Booker T walks up to the cups. And they have they don't have the special edition Booker T cup, but they have an RBD. And he's like, I'll knock your punk ass out. Like I'm like Booker <laughs> T at this fucking time because this is right around the time. This might have been right after him and Austin got in the fucking grocery, the grocery aisle fucking battle. Oh, know? it's amazing! I watched that video. Still, uh, I get sad. I put on that video and it cheers me up. Clean yeah, up on aisle, jackass! <laughs> Jesus Christ! But yeah, I mean Booker T here. Uh, good promo. Uh, I, uh, we get I, next. This oh, go ahead, Rob. I lost my shit when Terry comes running in. Goldust just like eyes get wide. And he just instantly like shoves his hands down to cover his crotch, <laughs> and then yeah. <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah We'll we'll go to Raw and we'll we'll meet up with Shawn Michaels and Triple H. We'll we'll talk about joysticks and we'll compare how massive our joysticks are. And like Terry looks down, and she's like, "Oh my!" Like I <laughs> I lost my shit. And sit, like Sam was sitting there watching me. She's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, because they're married. And the whole joke spot was about them being married and Goldust getting a boner. And she's like, I don't understand. I'm like, never mind. Never well, thank you for giving us that entire detailed conversation, Rob. Very exciting stuff. Uh, but I... I'll tell you I, what, I, my conversation is more exciting than... The whole build up to this next match has been. <laughs> I mean, look, look, don't be talking bad about the Hulkamaniacs, all right? Dude, it's it's been bad. I'm sorry. At this point, Hulk Hogan was still okay to like, but man, it's it's bad. The the build we've had to this. It was so quick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's you're right. It was thrown together. Although I do think it's kind of awesome that JR points out the irony of Edge, who's Canadian, being on the other side of the un-Americans. Oh, we've been That's pointing a- that out the whole time, because until then, they didn't mention that, and they kept acting like Edge was a proud American standing up for his country. Yep. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I, I just can't. I can't, but continue. But Yeah, we get um, Hogan and Edge defending their tag team titles against Lance Storm and Christian. And I, I like Lance Storm, but good God, and I'm sorry, Rob, I know you love Lance Storm, he is the most boring human on a microphone. If I could be serious for a minute. Yeah. He uh yeah. he calls Hogan the real American fraud, which I liked. Yeah, that was cool. Um Yeah, but got... you gave it more charisma right there, recapping what he said than he did. <laughs> I can't wait till we get well, to the segments of him and Goldust teaming and Goldust is trying to make him not boring. Oh man. <laughs> That's, I don't know, but Continue, Rob. Uh, we get a, a nice, a nice line from Jr. on uh, commentary during the promo. My hero, John Wayne, is spinning in his grave. That that caught my wow. attention. That was the one that caught your attention, huh? Yep. He said it was such vile and such vigor that you were just like, <laughs> incredible. Great, great, great commentary by Jr. Because he really fucks up in the main event, so. Did you guys catch the chant early in this match? And can you identify it for me? Because this is a very USA-centric storyline. Was it a USA chant or a You Suck Dick chant? 
I couldn't tell. I, I, I'm going to have to rewatch and get back to you in an answer next episode because I did not catch that. I thought it was just USA. I thought, was it a Hogan USA chant or is it a against the Canadians you suck dick chant? I couldn't tell. Well, you would think that they wouldn't have that on TV, but I guess it is a pay-per-view. And they, they did have that. That's popped up quite a few times. Remember Reigns beating Taker? Oh, boy. Yes, unfortunately, I do. Those are the many years where you look back and you're like, why do I give a shit about this anymore? Oh, yeah. Why do you think I'm choosing to go back in a time machine where I loved it, what we talk about? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, obviously it's kind of odd to see Lance Storm and Christian in a tag team match opposite of Hulk Hogan. If you had it in your office poll that in 2002 <laughs> Hulk Hogan would be going up against Lance Storm and Christian, I don't think that you would win very much money. But, I mean, obviously Edge and Hogan here – they work well as a team. Uh, Edge Edge is obviously the the more athletic of the two. Hogan, this is on the beginning of the downslope, even though he did win the undisputed title earlier in the year. Um, but I think that this match, for what it was worth, was fine. Obviously, Lance Storm and Christian are great technicians. Edge isn't too shabby himself, and then Hogan is what he is. But um, that's been my issue with all of these: is Hogan just feels like he's plopped into a match he wasn't supposed to be in and he's still wrestling in Hogan style, which is fine for what it is, but does not blend as well with these guys. Yeah. I think the one spot that kind of um, sticks out to me is Lance Storm goes for a super kick, but edge catches it uh, and then hits the implant DDT, which was a sweet move uh, for the longest time. I thought it was a cool fucking move, uh, but that's when then test runs into the ring. So um, a lot of cool back and forth action here though. I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I caught another King said what moment when he just starts <laughs> ranting about the Canadians. And he's like, they they expect our handouts. Do we give it to them? Yes. Should we? <laughs> no. Things like that. Like, when is fucking America giving Canada handouts? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just, I don't know. It's classic Jerry Lawler, though. Okay. But, um. Yeah, we get the weird hodgepodge at the end because Test runs in and attacks Hogan and mm-hmm. Big Boots Edge, but doesn't get it. Rikishi comes out because he's been vaguely involved in this feud and fights Test back up the ramp. And boy, boy, if you had that in your office pool, who would be the third <laughs> man in the recreation of the NWO in 2002? It's Hogan, Edge, and you guessed it, Rikishi. <laughs> man, can we talk about how disturbing that shirt? That Rikishi shirt is. Oh my god! Look at that shirt. It's such an awesome shirt. No, it's not, King. It's it's very fucking not cool. Not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. It's fucking Rikishi, man. But uh, but look, I mean, right here, Christian and Landstorm pick up the win. They beat Hogan and Edge. So technically, Landstorm and Christian both have victories over Hulk Hogan in the in the record book with an assist from Jericho. Well, look, I mean, you need all the help you can get to win the tag team titles here. Uh, and then they go on to have a pretty solid run, if I do remember. Yes, I do. Um, there was a nice spot where uh, Edge countered an attack from Lance Storm. He was on the ground, and then Edge countered um, a, a Christian spot, which turned into a side face buster to Lance Storm on the Christian, like a, like a anti-double team spot. That was a pretty cool spot in my book. Yeah, but I mean, 
overall, I thought the match did really well for what it wanted to. So I, I enjoyed it more than some of the stuff we've had building to it. I gave it so I can't be accused of stealing your guys' star ratings the whole time. I gave it a solid six. So I I think six is appropriate. Um Obviously, it's Hogan. It's Edge. This is Edge early on. This is before he became the rated R superstar and really blew the blew the roof off everything. But Edge here, I don't think was uh, bad, you know. And so overall, though, you know, I think six is appropriate for this match. I I gave it a five because I felt like uh, some of the spots were just really sloppy, especially with Hogan in the ring. That seems to be a common theme with him in this tag team. But thankfully, this well, might be the last time we see it. Do you owe someone stars and you realize you were spending too hard earlier? No, I literally have five. I will send you the screenshot right now. <laughs> I feel like you're it's like the first week of payday and you're out there spending all your stars and now you got to save them up on the second week. Yep. No. That seems like here, Rob. No, nope, because seems- I got plenty of stars to save for the last match. So. Oh, I do. I will say that. Uh, yes, which getting but to that. Yeah, I think six. I think six out of ten is appropriate for me. I like. I like how at the end, um, while Lance Storm and Test and Christian were walking back up the ramp, Hogan's in the ring, like using his lifting strap, like arguing with the ref, like, "No, man, listen, brother, he hit him with the the belt. He hit Edge with the belt, and he's like motioning with the strap." That was kind of a funny moment. He's acting like the ref is like an uncontacted tribe on some island who doesn't understand his language. He's using the belt to show him like, this belt. He smacked me with belt. No, the ref understands if you don't. You know, I never fucking thought about that. What an astute observation that was. You never really think about that, but like when they're using hammos, I can understand English, you fucking buffoon. I can hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. It doesn't change the fact that I was knocked unconscious back. <laughs> they don't understand English. Like you see him motioning to him, like even like walk, like showing walking on their hands for interference. Like they can't understand the word they're saying. Like and then he like kicks the rope. Man, he had a foot on the rope, brother. What are you talking about? He had a foot on the rope, brother. And the guy's just like, I mean, no understand English. You know, like I from, I from. 1918. Yeah, I'm from. We speak broken English like Amish people. They, they can always say one, two, three, and get them off the ropes. That's all right now. Or, 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 or DQ and get them out of here. Exactly. This is classic Hogan riffing with the belt, though. Uh, we get Mark Lloyd interviews Steph. Steph says, which I'm like, this is going to be used in a promo in a video package. She's going to rip the heart out of Raw when her moment is here. Mm. Right mm. from under Bischoff's nose. Yes. Yep. She says that she lost the battle over Triple H, but she will win the war. Obviously, is how the second part goes. Lance, me and Rob talked last week a little bit. After the bombshell of Bischoff, obviously Steph seemed like a bit of a letdown. What were your thoughts on her being named to SmackDown GM? So, in this era, like this was right after the invasion and stuff. So it's stuff kind of settling down and stuff. I totally missed. I don't know if you guys covered that episode with Bischoff debuts. It was I the actually, one where we had the the worst audio in the world, and I was very angry. But if you notice in there, right before he comes out and Vince McMahon introduces him, he walks by Booker T in that backstage segment. 
never noticed that that was him. I never fucking know. When I was a kid, I I can remember seeing this Booker T interview when I was a kid and then being like, why is Booker T so thrown back by who we just saw? Like, why is he so like, tell me I didn't just see that or whatever. Yeah. And then it was off. So it's like, but Steph here, I mean, obviously you're giving her something to do. I feel like Stephanie McMahon is like what Brandy Rhodes is trying to be a little too hard. Especially in this era, Stephanie, like they felt like she needed to be jammed down our fucking throats all the time. So, I mean, I don't think Stephanie McMahon is that interesting of a character. I just don't. I never have. Especially you know, not in this type of role. Like, you had no, her like, with the McMahon in every corner. Okay, I'll take that. But, yeah, I'll give you... Is an authoritarian positions never really move that needle. But I told Rob, I don't remember much of her because I remember more of when Heyman took over from her. So, I'm willing to give this a shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Uh, I don't think it's a bad move. So, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent about the whole thing. Though. Would you have been more excited if it was, say, Shane? Shane's well, no. Mover. I mean, yes and no. In this era, probably not as much as it as it did when he came back in, like, 16 or whatever. Um, I, I Shane would have been fine. Like, I actually like Eric Bischoff a lot as an on-screen character, as an off-screen kind of guy, I listen to this podcast a lot. Like, I think Eric Bischoff is a pretty interesting person. I've never had to work for the guys, never like stab me in the back or whatever, you know, but I've always kind of been partial to Bischoff, mostly because I was a big WCW guy coming up, but I still think he did some good work. And I don't think that that, I don't think that good work is anything to be ashamed of. And, but Stephanie, I'm just kind of indifferent about the whole thing. So pretty much where we stood on it. What well, yeah. we got after that? Uh, we had the vi- amazing video package for uh, using Downfall by Trust Company for. Uh, oh yeah, the and I break away. Oh yeah, yeah I, I love that they made these packages like mini music videos. Those they were great. That's uh, this era of wrestling. I mean, obviously starting with WrestleMania 17. No, I have that in my notes. I mean that. That promo was fucking unreal. But even Survivor Series 02, you know, I think that was saliva. It was fine, but it was just the way it's built up is just fucking sick. And this was no different here. Obviously, Trust Company was uh, a bigger band then. I mean, they're talking about it. You know, I was actually thinking about this band the other day and and, uh, talk about a one-hit wonder or a one-CD wonder. Trust Company probably be up there. I would say, because they were only around for a little bit. I can't say that I remember Trust Company at all. I don't think they ever really crossed my radar. You're too busy listening to fucking MXPX or whatever the fuck you listen to. Most likely. Yeah, I mean, but anyway. Another standout with that for me is, do you guys remember the WrestleMania 20 uh, step-up drowning pool for the main event, the triple threat with uh, Benoit, Triple H, and Michaels? That was another one that I thought worked perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I think... My way is still probably 100% the best one they ever did with Rock and Austin. Easily. I got to go the No Mercy Undertaker Lesnar Hell in a Cell match. The No Mercy Now song, which I think was made for that match, but I that was my favorite they ever did. I feel this ranks up there for me, though. All right. So, anyway, what do you guys think of the match? 
I mean, look, Kurt Angle here, just a wrestling machine. The Rock and The Undertaker are so fucking over. In this match, the crowd's really into it, by the way. Oh. Uh, they're super into this shit. Um, I mean, obviously, they go outside. The Rock hits The Undertaker with like a clothesline and uh, throws Angle onto the steel steps and stuff. But I mean, like, look, this is all the classic tropes of all three of these guys. Just back and forth action throughout. I was a big fan of it. I did like the beginning because it showed Kurt Angle being one of those few wrestlers that can infuse comedy into situation into serious situations without being considered a comedy gimmick who can't be taken seriously. Because during the initial stare down of all three, when Rock and Taker just start staring down, Kurt Angle's very offended that he's not being considered. I liked that. Yeah, I mean i I don't think they did anything in this match to to make me hate it. You know, there wasn't anything that like stuck out to me that was like fuck, get rid of that right now, you know? So I think for the most part, um, the match delivered, you know, in most aspects. Obviously, I was a big fan of the ending. We'll get to the ending, but uh, I'm kind of interested to hear what Rob thinks on this match. I, I like the uh, the whole um, use your opponent's finisher aspect that they did there for a bit. Uh, like yeah, the Rock, that was cool. The Rock giving Undertaker a choke slam. Uh, when Rock first grabbed him by the throat, Taker's face was priceless with surprise. Um, the Rock putting Angle in the ankle slam, and Angle reversing it into the Rock bottom, and then uh, Taker doing the angle slam to Angle. Before, um, it, it was a lot of good back and forth uh, with them trading <clears throat> the finishers there for a bit. Uh, Jr. Good, Rob. Sorry. Jr. Coined uh, the People's H2O when the Rock uh, spit water in Taker's face on the outside of the ring to uh, get the advantage midway through the match. So. I want to touch back on that finisher thing because I want to talk about that too. But when you said Taker's facial expressions when The Rock grabbed him with the choke slam, that reminded me. I there's no way this wasn't intentional because when Taker would be facing off against The Rock, Taker looked like Taker. He's still intense and everything, but Taker, but he, he had such a scowl anytime he'd go with The Rock, and that just built like the feud these two have been having. He really cranked that "I hate you" up, and it really made the match better for me. Just seeing like, and I know they. Don't hate each other. But like, oh, he hates this guy now. It was it was great from Taker to the Rock there. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll get on board with that. Obviously, this is right after, uh, not right after, but this is kind of when the Undertaker became big evil. You know, the this 2002 Undertaker was just fucking vicious. Oh yeah, he's just vicious. You know, and and here, um, I think he does well. I mean, obviously, I think that. And I don't say this lightly, but of the three workers, the Undertaker's the worst. But saying you're the worst between The Rock and Kurt Angle isn't a bad place to be. Well, guys, it's uh, been Ruthless Retrospective. Thanks for listening. Good night. <laughs> I'm dead serious, though. Like, he's the worst wrestler of the three, but the other two are The Rock and Kurt Angle. That's all I'm saying. Like, so The Undertaker, obviously, I think one of the best of all time, but like here it just, he's kind of overmatched when it comes to these other two guys in the ring, just world-class wrestlers. I'll give you angle angle is in this match to me, top tier. If you fucking tell me, hold on, hold on. <laughs> let me just cut you off right here. If you tell me the undertaker's a better wrestler than the rock, you're out of your fucking mind. You're out of your mind. Maybe in this match, <laughs> I'll give it to you at this time it's period. Fucking- but you take the Rock's later matches compared to even Undertaker's later matches at the same time, Taker was Look, miles ahead of the Rock. 
look, and we're not even talking about in ring because I, I, the, the best words of wisdom I've ever heard from like Al Snow, um, Al Snow said, you don't base the best match of all time based on if it made you fucking feel something. You based on how much money it drew. Okay. The Undertaker at no point has ever drawn money even close to The Rock. Well, no, he's not the highest paid actor in Hollywood. That's why. But what I'm saying is like The Rock is box office. Not only in the ring, he just put asses in them seats, man. And The Undertaker's championship reigns throughout his career have always been a little underwhelming. They've always been kind of because he's never needed the title. Well, I'll give you one hundred percent. Taker, someone who needs the title only to add legitimacy to him, but it doesn't really drive his stories. I'll give one hundred percent correct. But I mean, that's that's all I'll say about that. I'll let you guys take the floor. I'm I'm flustered now by this comment, but I'm going <laughs> to move on. Uh, Rob, what are you saying about the finisher spots? Sometimes I don't like that. These guys did it well. Where it wasn't. These three were the perfect, because Taker was doing it out of hatred. Like, to me, this is the way the writing landed. Taker was doing it out of hatred to these guys, because, oh, you did it first, I'm going to do it back. Angle, to me, is like the wrestling machine. I can prove I can do any of your moves better than you, and The Rock is just a smartass, so that's why he did it. That's why I think it works so well here. I can agree with that. I, 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 uh, I, I definitely can agree with that. I thought the best part of the match, if we're being honest, was the ending. Uh, the Rock hits Kurt Angle with a rock bottom and covers him, and the Undertaker's crawling in after him, grabs the foot, but he's just a second too late, and The Rock walks away with the title. So. Yeah, I thought it was a botch at first until they called it right right away. I'm like, oh, that's well done. I didn't think they'd go for it, but I thought it was a mess up at first. Like the, I don't know, I can name a thousand matches, but um, yeah, I also like. The story you saw in the video package, how why Angle got added to this match, because he had that choke on Taker, and Taker tapped out right when Angle got pinned. I love that they went back to that, because I went, oh, they're going to get it this time. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. Like, it's obviously with Lesnar winning King of the Ring and going to SummerSlam to, to face off against somebody, who would you rather have the torch passed to him by, The Undertaker or The Rock? It's going to be The Rock. Because right, the Undertaker wasn't ready to do that, and The Rock was kind of on his way out. And he and let's face it, Greg, you can argue with me all you want to. The Rock was a bigger star than The Undertaker ever was. The Rock was a bigger star, and it might not be to you or to you know whoever else, but like if we're talking sheer numbers, The Rock, The Undertaker's not even close. I'm thinking about it, and you're right non-wrestling fans will talk i mean they still know taker he's up there too non-wrestling fans know him but when they go oh it wasn't like back in the day they don't say with undertaker and stone cold they say with the rock and austin Uh, yeah that's true i mean i thought this was a really good match though overall i did too rob do you have any other things on this match because i don't want to just talk about how ron lance is not giving undertaker (laughs) too but i want to talk about the match a little bit um, the only other thing I have to note is, uh, Kurt Angle drew color and it was, uh, they were trying to talk it up as much as possible on the announce team, but it wasn't as bad as they were saying. To anyone not in on the, the super insider wrestling lingo Rob's trying to use here, he means Kurt Angle's bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Jesus Christ. Yes, and, he's getting a little juice here, but Ang- Angle, it's it's so weird. Bold guys with the crimson mask never work as well for me because I'm always the best bleeder, which is weird to even say in the business of all time. I think is Ric Flair because he had that like lightning hair, and once he'd bleed, it would soak back through it and stain it, and it just looked amazing. When you have a bald guy doing it, it just doesn't quite get the same effect to me. I'm just worried, oh, that man's injured. Uh, you're not wrong. Um, but I think that it's very important to kind of see. I was actually talking about somebody like about this the other day who I thought was the best bleeder was ever. Triple H again was one of the best bleeders ever, but but um, I'm always a big fan of, of color and matches. So, oh, especially in big matches like this, you need it because the term blood feud it literally adds the blood to it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, but uh, but overall, I mean, on a scale, I mean, I would give this one like a seven point seven five out of ten. I gave this a nine point seven five. Get the fuck out! You gave this. It's a 10 out of 10. Almost. It just missed it. I still haven't given my first 10. This is close to it. And then I gave it a 10 out of 10. Okay. Oh, of course you fucking did. I'll take that one. I'm not even going to pick on you about that one. Maybe that's my fault for not giving it higher. Lance, what did you give it? What? The the match? Yeah. 7.75. Yeah, yeah, right. some... That's a shame. <laughs> you motherfucker. Look, I've been grading shit for... A long time, man. I, I know what a 9 out of 10 match when I see one, and this was not it. Oh, this was for sure. But also, has Earl Hebner always been 80? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, look, he, did the, he did the classic double referee spot with his brother back in Hogan-Andre days. So, Yeah, I mean, this is a solid way to end the show, though, for me. I, I thought it was, too. This this saved the show for me from being mad to, okay, I might rewatch this at some point. Um. Now, Lance, we always do these at the end of the show. We uh, run down three questions. It's your favorite match, your favorite moment. doesn't match, interview, anything. Well, not match, but spot after a match, before interview, promo, etc. And you have to change something, whether you think it's perfect or not. Um, mm-hmm. So, Rob, what was your favorite match? Um, I think my favorite match, not including grades... Would have probably been the Lesnar RVD match. What are you talking about not including grades? Oh, well, I will explain this. Because sometimes when you know a match is great, but it doesn't strike your taste. Like, I love garbage wrestling. I love Sandman, Jimmy Havoc, all that. But I'm under no impression that they're great wrestlers. But my favorite match won't necessarily be the best match all the time. All right, well, I was out of loop on that one. Anyway, continue, Rob. Uh, I'd give it to Lesnar RVD. I think uh, even with the DQ finish, it was uh, probably had probably some of the best spots in the night between the two of them with probably the best storytelling besides the main event. Um, I think I think that match was probably the most solid out of the evening as a favor for me. Probably a tie for me uh, between Lesnar and RVD in the main event, if we're being honest. I'm going straight main event. I did like Lesnar and RVD, but it didn't. I would sure edge of my for, for, for a 9.75 out of 10, that better be your favorite fucking match. <laughs> Damn sure. Rob gave it a 10 out of 10. It's not even his favorite fucking match. So. <laughs> All right. Jen, your favorite. Right. You know what? Oh, no, never mind. Your favorite moment, Rob. 
probably uh probably the gold dust Booker T moment. Okay. I would actually go the Booker T scissors kick through the table. That's very good too. I went Charles Robinson attacking Paul Heyman. Yeah, that, that was, was good. One. Yeah, you don't see that too often. No, you no. do on house shows and like dark matches, like because they'll just fuck around with the crowd and everything, but rarely on TV. And then mm-hmm. Lance, you're in the writers' room. Vince McMahon goes, "This is good shit, but something needs to change. I don't care what it is. Do it. What are you changing?" Uh, I'm giving the cruiserweight division more emphasis. Uh, if you look back at early WCW, the cruiserweight division really just carried a lot of those pay-per-views, got them off to hot starts. And even in SummerSlam 2002, not to jump ahead a little bit, but that sh- that ma- that show opens with one of the best opening matches ever, Rey Mysterio and Kurt Angle. Um, I know Kurt Angle's not a cruiserweight, but that shows you what the cruiserweight division could do. So in this area, I would make the cruiserweight division really stand out. Well, how would you do so? Like, what would you so, do on this show? I mean, obviously, um, Noble and Kidman was fine. Um, you didn't have Rey Mysterio yet. Obviously, you didn't bring Guerrera and Psychosis and a lot of these WCW guys. Although they did show up, you know, eventually. So we're um, not talking about the Mexicals, please. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, but, um, they brought them. They brought them over. So they they didn't bring them over. So. I mean, I would even have somebody like Jericho. I know you're trying to move him up to to main event statuses, but you know he could have a hell of a match. So put him with some cruiserweights, you know. But give me Jericho Mysterio on this show. You know what I mean? It, it, let's just say you put it on there, or even at SummerSlam, Jericho Mysterio. You know that match would tear the house down just on paper, you know. So, I mean, that's, that's probably some big changes that I would make um, as far as that goes. I went for this show, I would honestly move the Triple H segment to Raw the next day, and you can still have a lot of these backstage segments, but you don't need as many then, and then you could fit another match on the card if you needed, and then it gives people to turn tune in for the blow-off the blow off show after Vengeance. Oh, by the way, Triple H is making his big decision tomorrow, just have the announcers mention it once or twice, you can have Stephanie, Eric have a confrontation backstage, and... Uh, that kind of thing just never struck me as a pay-per-view thing. Interview segments like a Piper's Pit special occasion or something, that makes sense. But to have a contract signing at a pay-per-view just kind of rubs me wrong. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I got you. So, Rob? Um, going off of what you just said actually gave me an idea. Um, so from us watching the last month in 2002 – What's the biggest feud that was building up that they did not feature on this? Trish Stratus versus Molly Holly. Yeah, true. You could have moved the whole Shawn Michaels recruiting Triple H to Raw, Triple H going to Raw segment, which took up like 20 minutes, and you could have put the women's title on the line on the pay-per-view. Then all the titles in WWE would have been represented on the pay-per-view. Fair point. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, that's all for this pay-per-view. Jesus Christ, this was a long episode, but this is also the longest show we had to do yet. So, not an hour and 38 without commercials. Three hours, baby. Three hours of non-stop WWE pay-per-view action. I'm, I, I'm so happy that I don't have to hear the term WWE Universe yet. <laughs> yeah, so very, very good. So, Well, Rob, you got anything you want to add in? Not really. Uh, Lance, do you wanna you wanna let our listeners know what you're into? Uh, what you do? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I run a uh, heel turn, the heel turn collective radio network. We have shows three times a week, um, Sundays, Tuesdays, and Fridays. Sundays we do word up or bird up with our boy, Jordan Dukes. Um, Tuesday is the heel turn collective podcast, a flagship show of the heel turn collective radio network. That's me and our boy Shane. And then Fridays I do all elite wrestling one with the undercard. Um, we just talk all things AEW and we actually don't mention the WWE at all, except for ratings. Uh, check me out at collective heel on Twitter. And I, just I heard talk- Jay spank you one time. Cause he started talking about Adam Cole McAfee and he, he put it to you. That has nothing to do with AEW. Yeah, that's uh Jay's a big, my boy, silky Jay Johnson is a, uh, He's a real stickler. He's a big AEW guy, and he likes to kind of stick to that. If you like what you're hearing on this show with Rob and Greg, you know, we do a lot of work with them, and we're going to in the future. So um, it'll be kind of cool to see uh, where things go, but we're pretty excited about uh, how things are turning out. So, What about – you were talking about your writing and reviewing WCW shows. What about that? You want to plug that? Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I write for a website, tjrwrestling.net. John is a good dude over there. Uh, I Right now, I'm doing a series of – I'm just watching every WCW pay-per-view from the start of the Monday Night Wars era. So I think the first pay-per-view I covered was uh, Halloween Havoc 95. And then there might have been Fall Brawl 95. And then right now, I just got done from doing Fall Brawl 96. And so I've done a year's worth already. Um, and we're going into Halloween Havoc 96. And it's it's real fun stuff. It kind of takes me back. So it's uh, pretty exciting stuff. Well, that's awesome. Uh, if One you would guy. like to be found, where can people find you? At Collective Heel on Twitter. Also on Facebook, you can look up the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network and you can give us a like and let us know um, what we got going on there. We have content that really serves – uh, everybody's preference. You know, we talk about wrestling and sports and music and just overall shit. Uh, so if you like talking shit and you like, uh, getting down with it, um, and we actually, we are doing a lot of cool things. we got a lot of cool people we're talking to. And so, uh, it's, it's, it's been a blast for the most part, but at collective feel on Twitter and the, uh, heel turn collective radio network on Facebook. No bullshit. You guys have been doing a slipknot retrospective, which I've been digging oh, yeah. a lot. That's been real fun on, on heel turn collective um that's yeah. been my favorite thing you guys have been doing that's been fun i hope you do that with more bands i like that a lot yeah so we're we're trying to infuse this thing on that particular show we don't really have an identity yet but me and shane really come from a you know we come from the hardcore scene and we have a background in it so obviously we talk a lot about music but we talk a lot about sports you know wrestling and, and football particularly but um but right now we're doing a slipknot retrospective we just covered volume three the subliminal verses which me and shane both agree is probably the greatest slipknot record um but we're gonna get into all hope is gone this week talk about uh, point five, the great chapter and then obviously uh we are not your kind coming down the pike so we're really excited about that retrospective we do plan on doing it with a couple more bands i think lincoln park is next we're gonna do a complete retrospective on lincoln park talk about them uh and then just have a whole slew of cool guests coming up so we're we're pretty excited about it excited to hear that if you guys want to follow us on twitter and instagram i am at g-r-e-g-a-i-m-s you can find the podcast at ruthless retro pc Spelled exactly like that, not PC. It's because we can't fit podcasts into the title. And we Mm. have a Facebook, which is just Ruthless Retrospective. I try to update as much as I can, but Facebook algorithm seems to not like me updating it a lot and showing it to people, so I do it sparingly. 
Rob, we got anything else we want to add to any of that? Um, no, nah, not really off the top of my head right now. Uh, I just want to thank Lance for coming on the show. Uh, he added a dynamic with having a third. It's not like having a third guy on commentary while you're watching a wrestling match, but it's definitely it definitely is nice having a third guy to review said wrestling. Oh, for sure. And I, Lance kind of gave the beans away earlier. Our whole point for doing pay-per-views, me and Rob excitedly said, oh, we're going to bring on a different guest every time we do a pay-per-view. Well, too bad to get Lance at least for the next one, too, because he did tell me that SummerSlam 2002 was his favorite pay-per-view of all time. I so, think from top to bottom, SummerSlam 2002 is the greatest WWE pay-per-view ever produced. So I would feel like a jerk not giving that one to him. So we did I give will, him the go-ahead. Let me say this about SummerSlam 2002. I don't know how many matches there are exact. Let's just say there's seven. Okay. I'd say five of them are at least four stars. So eight. I don't know how many matches are on the show. I can't. I don't know off the top of my head. But no, no. I'm, I think over half. I think over half of. I think over half of the matches on the show are going to be at least an eight out of ten. Fair. We'll hold you to that. Yeah. <laughs> So, Rob's going to give you all the shit in the world if he doesn't agree because of this one. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha, but, yeah. but for it, it, Ruthless it, it, Retrospective, guys, I am Greg. I am Rob. Rob your thing. Wow, way to have a great <laughs> exit. He is Rob. Thank you, Lance, for coming on, and good night. Peace.